You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. David Davis is a Los Angeles-based journalist whose work has appeared in Sports Illustrated, Smithsonian Magazine, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, and other publications. He is also the author of six books, including Wheels of Courage, How Paralyzed Veterans from World War II Invented Wheelchair Sports, Fought for Disability Rights, and Inspired a Nation. So we chat about this book and the history of where and how adaptive sports began. So, David, I definitely am interested in talking about uh, your book, Wheels of Courage. But before we start with that, I thought maybe we could just begin with just a little bit more of an introductory background about who you are, some of the other uh, books you've you've written, and uh, and then we can launch into the, the main topic. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Sean. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, so I was born and raised in New York City, uh, went to college in upstate New York, and came out to Los Angeles in 1986 and uh, pretty much immediately started working in journalism. Um, I, I had been the editor of my college newspaper and uh, went into um, internship at the LA Weekly newspaper, which was sort of the second biggest alternative newspaper in the country at that time. And that's really where I sort of learned my journalism chops. Um, I was there for up until 1998 when I left to go freelance. And uh, that's when I, I, it was always in the back of my mind to write books. That that was always my goal. Um, maybe took me a little longer than I thought. Uh, but, uh, but I also sort of got started late in writing. Um, and so it took me a while to sort of figure that out and still figuring it out. Um, but let's see, I, I've written I, I, I've written six books, three of which are photography based and three of which are narrative and all revolving around sports and most of them revolving around the Olympics. Um, so my first narrative was uh, a book about the 1908 Olympics and focused on the marathon event there. And the 1908 Olympics were in London and they were sort of the first uh, modern games, you know, with mm -hmm. a stadium and controversy and all that sort of thing. Um, so that was the first book that sort of led me into the second book, which was a biography of Duke Kahanamoku uh, called Waterman and uh, the great Olympic swimmer and godfather of surfing and Hawaiian icon mm -hmm. uh, Duke Kahanamoku and just, you know, a revered figure in, in Hawaii. And that sort of led me, <laughs> believe it or not, to uh, Wheels of Courage. Um, it was while I was doing research about Duke Kahanamoku that I sort of stumbled onto uh, the origin of wheelchair basketball in the United States. So th that was sort of the progression. And how did, you know, just in that research about uh, a Hawaiian surfer, how did you stumble on, how did you stumble on that, on the topic of wheelchair basketball? Right. Right. Well, uh, so Duke, you know, pretty much lived his whole life in Hawaii, except in the 1920s, he spent some time in Southern California. 
and he swam here. His goal was, frankly, to to be in the movies in Hollywood, which was, of course, booming in the silent era. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did have a it was a rather unsuccessful attempt, um, frankly, because of racism at the time. He was a, a dark skinned Hawaiian and all he got were extra roles. Um, and unfortunately, because he was such a magnanimous uh, figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so how did that lead to wheelchair basketball? Um, because of his celebrity and fame as an Olympic swimmer, whenever they would build a swimming pool in Southern California, like at a resort or a hotel or a university, they would invite people like Duke and other Olympic heroes to, you know, be part of the opening ceremony, so to speak. It was a big deal back then in the twenties to build a big swimming pool. Um, So Duke was invited in 1929 to jump in and and swim a few laps at a place called the Norconian Resort Supreme, which was this elaborate resort in Riverside County, about 50 miles due east of downtown LA. And it was this magnificent uh, clubhouse, two 18-hole golf courses, a lake, a landing strip for airplanes. So it was this huge, and I'm looking at this going, I've never heard of this. I live 50 miles away. How have I never heard of it? Well, the story behind the story was it opened in late, or I guess the summer of 1929, which of course was the depression hitting mm-hmm. right after that. And so this amazing resort sort of stumbled and fall fell. Uh, failed, and it was eventually purchased by the U.S. Navy right before Pearl Harbor. And so its earliest uh, incarnation with the Navy, I mean, they had some offices and planning some strategy, but it was a a hospital. And apparently some of the Pearl Harbor uh, injured were taken there and others. And because of their location in Southern California, um, they ended up with a lot of veterans who who were there. They ended up setting up a, a, a ward for paraplegia um, uh, patients mm-hmm. and eventually started one of the first wheelchair basketball team, which was the Rolling Devils. Mm-hmm. And um, they were a short live team, but uh, they featured two of the gentlemen that I profile in Wheels of Courage in the book. Um so that was really my jumping off point and doing the deep dive and finding out the amazing history of, of wheelchair basketball and how it developed from these veterans of World War II. Yeah, that's fascinating because, you know, on a national level now, if we think of, um, you know, hospital, you know, military hospitals, we think of San Diego, uh, the Naval Center, Naval Medical Center there. So I, I never knew about this, the, the place in Riverside either. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, and the Navy still uh, apparently controls some of it. Um, and it's, the, I, I don't want to go into it in this uh, particular, uh, it, some of the buildings are still standing. Um, there's some dispute about they're trying to make it a national historic site etc cetera, etc cetera. but uh uh it the site is still there and the, some the original buildings are still there as well and and the wheelchair basketball court as well 
<laughs> and, and before we leave Duke and, and focus on Wheels of Courage, uh, I know you told me recently that it's it has been optioned and, and there's some some uh, plans for it. Can you talk about that? Yeah, no, uh, I and I appreciate that. Yeah, Waterman was was optioned after I wrote it, and um, a documentary has been made, and it will be shown on PBS t- TV uh, in May, I believe. But uh, yeah, no, and I mean. Interestingly enough, obviously talking about the the Naval Hospital, but of course, Hawaii being, you know, with Pearl Harbor, et cetera, et cetera, it was, you know, it became, it was sort of a natural connection, um, this Hawaii uh, pipeline, and then sort of, that's the beginning of the war, and then the end of the war, um, unfortunately, of course, you have have the wounded and the injured, and um, how America sort of treated them um with the VA system um is really the you know a big part of the book yeah well and that's exciting about the documentary as well just to introduce uh Duke to a larger community because I imagine if you're not Hawaiian or haven't spent any time there or you're not in the surfing community you may not really know that name and so I think it's important that we we broaden our own horizons about uh, people who who live and you know Americans and and people of, of different backgrounds and ethnicity. So that's ex- that, that'll be exciting to to see on on PBS uh, in a, in a couple months. Yeah, no, absolutely. And he, I mean, you go to Hawaii. I mean, he is, you know, he's Jack Dempsey. He's all these, heroes, <laughs> you know, Jackie Robinson. I mean, he's all of these heroes, you know, enrolled into one. So um, just an amazing figure. Yeah. yeah, and I and I actually I I I did know that name because I actually did live in Hawaii. So my father was stationed at my father was stationed at Schofield Barracks when I was very young, and and uh, my my mom actually said I learned to swim before I learned to walk because she would uh-huh. take me to Waikiki Beach on a regular basis. So so I have a little bit of that that Hawaiian uh, background and interest just because of living there a couple of years, but. Um, so let's talk about Wheels of Courage. So you, you obviously got introduced to it because of your your a previous book project about Duke. Um, it, it, when you when you learned this history, did did that immediately like strike as oh this is another this is another topic I want to write about or how how do you make that decision? You know, once you write one book and want to focus on another one, how, how did how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, I mean. I'm always sort of looking for the next one, um, but um, but honestly, it, it, it took a it was a little bit of a process because I didn't know a whole lot about uh, wheelchair sports, Paralympics, and you know my last two sp- uh, books, as I as I mentioned, have all been about the Olympics, but I didn't really know much about the Paralympics, so that was very new to me. Um, just that topic. So I, I had to do the deep dive into that. Um, really, what what changed and and put the light bulb saying, okay, this is a this is a story worth telling. Uh, two things. First of all, I hadn't, and it was the same thing with Duke, with the with the Duke book, Waterman. I didn't see that if that book had been written, that you know, a, a good thorough biography of Duke Kahanamoku, I wouldn't have touched it. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing with with the topic of wheelchair basketball, the origin of sports for people with disabilities. I didn't see that book. You know, if it had been written, I, I would have walked away. 
but I didn't see it. So that was that was one that was the you know sort of this original you know topic and terrain that I could I could jump into. The second, really more important, um, was and this is through um, that Norconian resort. Um, the the gentleman who helped me a lot in that on that topic, uh, his name is Kevin Bash. He was uh, has been and is the mayor of Norco, N O R C O, which is the town where this uh, Norconian Resort Supreme is. Hmm. And he has done a lot of research on the military, the Navy, and so forth. And um, he introduced me to a surviving member of the Rolling Devils. Hmm. And that was Gene Jerry Fessenmeyer. And I started talking to him on the phone. And then I went down to visit him in at his home in, in Texas and talking to him. <laughs> And hearing his story and understanding that he's one of many, that's when I said, okay, this is, this is a story I want to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I tell his story in the book. Um, uh, he, thankfully, uh, he knew that I had the book contract. He, he unfortunately didn't survive to see the book in print. Uh-huh. But, I, but I first did a, a, a magazine article about him. And for Los Angeles magazine, that was sort of like my tryout, like, okay, do I have enough here? (laughs) And uh, he was appreciative of that. But uh, more, more importantly, again, it was, okay, this is a great story. Now I got to try to find these guys, who else to tell? And that was sort of a challenge. And, um, you know, you just sort of put on your reporter's hat and, and go, okay, let's, let's find out how to, how to do this. And so I, Ended up traveling uh, all over. I, I went to London, to England, to research Ludwig Gutmann and his role in starting, you know, wheelchair sports in England because he was doing it at the same time we're doing it here. And mm-hmm. of course, he's acknowledged as the, you know, the Godfather, the father of the Paralympics. So I I, I really wanted to see what what he was all about. Uh, I went, of course, to Champagne. Uh, Illinois University of Illinois to research Timothy Nugent and Mm -hmm. his role in sort of taking wheelchair basketball out of the VA hospitals and more broadly to the American, you know, public, I guess is the best way to put it to the mainstream, so to speak, Mm -hmm. uh, beyond just the veteran community. Um, And then up and down California and libraries and, and then finally being able to reach out and talk to relatives, uh, survivors of these veterans. And interestingly enough, some of them had had really not even known about their fathers, this other aspect of their lives, mm-hmm. uh, which I found fascinating. So, uh, you know, we talk about that generation, that World War II generation, they, the silent generation or whatever, but they, mm-hmm. they really... They came home and they just got on with their lives. They didn't really, many of them didn't talk about their war experiences or or even their wheelchair sports experiences. And I know you have t- tons of great uh, content and information in the book, and we'll only get to, to uh, delve into a little bit of it. But um, so 
so when you when you when you look into the Rolling Devils, uh, obviously that so that's a that's a team. Um, but how did other teams come out? I mean, obviously you have, you have to if you're going if you're going to play, you got to play against somebody. So so right. how, right. how did that, that develop out of that one naval hospital into you know even other facilities? Right. Well, um, in terms of the the sort of the order the the the, the history of it. Really, it started in also in Southern California, but in the San Fernando Valley. That was the first hospital, and that was the Birmingham VA Hospital. And that was, uh, as I said, in the San Fernando Valley in Van Nuys. Mm-hmm. And just to jump ahead for two seconds, eventually they moved down to Long Beach and created the Long Beach VA, which still exists. Mm, so okay. the origin of that was always this Birmingham VA hospital up in Van Nuys. And in part because it was near the Hollywood studios, that particular uh, Birmingham got a lot of uh, publicity and press. Um, all of the Hollywood stars would come there and they would do, they would premiere their movies for the injured. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a movie that, I write about in the book called The Men, uh, starring Marlon Brando, which is essentially the story, you know, of a paraplegic soldier at, recovering from World War II and his injuries and him uh, uh, rehabbing at the VA at Birmingham. And it starred Marlon Brando. And uh, it was his first role <laughs> in a starring role in a motion picture. And you actually see him you know, swimming and playing um, wheelchair basketball. So that was actually the first team. Um, It's acknowledged by the other historians of wheelchair basketball that that was probably the first game was the patients versus the doctors who were (laughs) borrowed wheelchairs for the occasion, which was December of 1946. Um, So that VA was one of the observers, a, a surgeon, saw that and he, Dr. Gerald Gray, was the one who brought it down to uh, uh, the Naval Hospital in in uh, Norco. Um, but what I guess what was happening was with, with Birmingham and the other VAs, and uh, let me backtrack for one second. Um, so, and, and this is to a, a little medical part, uh, which is that before, prior to World War II, uh, and prior to like the mid '30s, if you were a paraplegic, your timeline, your was very, uh, and your lifestyle was not very good. Um, they they talk about if you were injured in World War One, probably eighty percent or more were were dead within the first eighteen months. And that's because, not because of necessarily the wound, but what happened afterward, the wound, sepsis and, 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 you know, disease, things Mm -hmm. like that, Um, because there was no penicillin. They they didn't have the antibody, antibiotics uh, to combat these illnesses and so forth that would attack the body as these men were recuperating. And the doctors themselves, they called these patients dead enders and no hopers. That's what they were called. And if you were lucky enough to survive, by the way, 
you were pretty much shunted off into an institution or you were kept at home. The wheelchairs were these ginormous, you know, contraptions that you couldn't move around. And society also at that time was very vehemently against people with disabilities. And there were, I, I, I before writing this book, I, I, I had no idea that major cities passed uh, what they called ugly laws. Um, mm. and, and they literally, you had to uh, not be seen in public if you were a certain way. So that's just background. By World War II, we've got penicillin. We have better evacuation uh, from, from the battlefield. We have better surgical techniques. So when these men came back, when the paraplegics came back, they're about 2,500 or so, their estimate in World War II. The VA set up um, about eight different, uh, in, the, in the VA hospitals, there were eight different uh, paraplegia wards. And these were devoted only to those paraplegia or quad, you know, or quads. Mm -hmm. um, and they were specialized. They were very, uh, um, they were called holistic in the sense of they were taking care of the entire person. And there was some uh, debate about, well, we got to get these guys up and out of the hospital because if we don't, frankly, it's going to cost us, us meaning the U.S. government and the taxpayers. I mean, could you imagine if you had to pay for 40 years of hospital care for mm -hmm. each person? So they had incentive to get these guys going. They had vocational training for them so they could learn other jobs or think about learning other jobs while in a wheelchair. Um, you had better wheelchair technology with the first generation of Everest and Jennings, the E&Js, which were foldable. So these men, once they started to rehab and get, gain their strength and also psychologically sort of figure out, okay, how do I live my life now moving forward with this new normal? Um, these men could sort of wheel themselves out to cars, which had special adaptive hand controls, uh, uh, hop in the car, fold up the E&J, and boom, they could, they could drive around. They could drive to a job. They could drive to a home. Um, so you had these uh, eight or so uh, paraplegia awards, and sort of they had an informal grapevine and newsletters that would write. And when one organist or one hospital like Birmingham would say, hey, we've got a wheelchair basketball team, well, then, you know, the, one, the McGuire in, in Virginia would say, hey, you know, in Richmond would say, hey, we want to do that. Uh, or, or, you know, all around the country. Mm -hmm. uh, there was Kennedy and all, all sorts of, it, Kennedy, I think, was in Memphis. Um, one of the earliest ones was up in Massachusetts. And so they all started to, you know, play wheelchair basketball. A, because it was fun, you know, and, and B, it was good exercise and rehab, both physically, you know, you're moving your body, moving your arms, moving your shoulders. And also psychologically, you know, these young men now in a wheelchair for the rest of their lives, my gosh, that's a major transition. And this was a way to alleviate some of that and, and to bring out 
hey, you can you can have a full life. You can, you know, play sports. You can have a job, get married, have kids, uh, and, and so forth. So uh, the sports was a big component of, for many of them, not all the vets, but for many of these vets to sort of figure out how to get to that next step and, and, and move on with their lives. Yeah, and I think that's uh, obviously we we see that today in terms of just where adaptive sports is today, and and the fact that not only is sports just something that you can partake in to enjoy and because to stay active, but it's an active part of rehabilitation and the and the rehabilitation process. Um, if you have an, an injury, or even if you were born with uh, you know something that you know just to make sure that your body moves and is able to move, so I, I think it's really. Uh, the exciting part about about your book and that you that you call out and you and you bring uh, bring attention to the other thing that you already mentioned that your book does so you know I think if people uh, just see the cover or the title um, they think well, it might be a wheelchair basketball book and I'm, I'm so glad that you talked about um, just in terms of how our country and society in general treated people with disabilities uh, and we still have more more to, we have more ways to, to grow in that area but um, but just in terms of the, the, even the history um, you know several a number of decades ago that was even worse so I think that just calling that out and, and bringing people that to people's attention is really important too so it's not just a wheelchair basketball book which is I want, I want people to who are listening to understand that and and make sure that they uh, you know might want to pick it up just because of that that historical context. Right. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, again, all of this was, was new to me. Um, and one of the interesting parts to this, and again, it, a, a lot of it started at Birmingham, but it was, it was all over. It was, it was this sort of grassroots um, attempt by these, this specific cohort. And, you know, there are a lot of veterans groups they formed, they, they understood that they were an unique. Their injury was different than others. And so they very quickly, formed, first informally and then formally, created the Paralyzed Veterans of America, PVA, which are, you know, still around and mm-hmm. still just a very powerful force. And so when Birmingham, for instance, uh, the the wheelchair basketball team, they they were the first to do cross country trips, and they would play other VA teams, and they would play other able bodied teams that would use wheelchairs for the occasion. But every year that they would do this, and I think they started forty seven forty eight, one of those years. Uh, whenever they would travel on the East Coast, they would stop in Washington D.C. And they would talk to the Congress people and the president, if they could, or vice president. And they would lobby for rights, disability rights. Uh, I, I mentioned those hand-controlled cars, vehicles. They lobbied for that. So that, you know, and their argument was, look, we just need the tools to, to get around. We're, we're okay. We need some help getting the tools themselves. And their Congress passed. Uh, the bill, so that they would be able to buy the purchase these cars. Same with adaptive housing, which was amazing. I mean, they had they had a stipend to be able to design and build a house for their needs with wheelchairs, so that they had the widened doorways and 
you know, uh, bathrooms and kitchens that uh, were designed appropriately for use with someone in a in a wheelchair. So it was about sports for sure, but it was also about, hey, we've got some needs specific. Um, we need a little help to get going, um, but we can live an independent life um, and and thrive and hold down jobs, et cetera. And uh, the wheelchair basketball became sort of the symbol of that because they would play in Madison Square Garden, the Boston Garden, uh, you know, some of the biggest arenas in the world. And, you know, people who had never seen, you know, American citizens had never seen people in wheelchairs. Here they are playing basketball and, you know, performing at an elite level. It, it, it was astonishing. And um, it, it, it also demonstrated, by the way, I mean, you know, World War II was different than some of us younger people are used to today with Vietnam, et cetera. You know, everybody knew someone who had fought in World War II, right. whether it was your neighbor, your brother, your father. Um, so there was that spirit when the, when the veterans came home, hey, you know, we want to look out for these guys too. Um, we, we don't want to abandon them. Um, we want to help them with these legislative uh, initiatives, et cetera. And uh, hey, if they're going to play wheelchair basketball, more power to them, you know. Yeah, that's a good point because nowadays, you know, with with about one percent of the U.S. population serving in the military, some people don't even know, a, right. a, you know, a family member or a neighbor or a friend that's serving actively serving our country in the military. But but back then, everybody knew somebody, whether it was their own family members or their next door neighbor or or something like that. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and you mentioned anyway, yeah. Go, and you mentioned PVA. I know a couple of uh, the PVA chapters across the country are also members of Move United, so they're still actively involved in in sports programming and sports activities that you know, uh, even to this day. So that's that's really exciting. I know, David, you talk about uh, you know, of course, the founder of the Paralympics and and even the the precursor to the Paralympics, the Manville Games. Can you can you talk about uh, that a little bit more? Uh, with with Dr. Goodman. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't hear that. Um, yeah, no, I mean, so at, at the same time as the doctors, physicians, surgeons at the VA were, were uh, treating the paraplegics and uh, helping with rehab through sports and recreation, uh, Dr. Ludwig Gutman was doing this at Stoke Mandeville in outside London, and uh, Dr. Kuma, I mean, just an amazing story. You know, he was born and raised in Germany. He was Jewish. Uh, he left right before, you know, as Hitler was uh, starting to, to uh, conquer Europe and ended up in England. And uh, right after the war, or even maybe at the tail end, he was put in charge of Stoke Mandeville and with, a, with the paraplegia ward. And he had the same uh, philosophy, which was we not let these guys lie in bed for the rest of their lives, um, which wouldn't help anybody. And it was not very good medically to treat them. Let's get them moving. Let's get them up. Um, I, I think it was he or one of his aides 
I mean, they invented a bed. I don't. I. I, I may be wrong whether he, who invented it, but they invented a bed so that they could turn the patients, um, so they're not lying on their back. Because one of the biggest threats to their health were these bed sores. So mm-hmm. it was twenty-four hour care, um, and his first um, attempt of sports. It happened that he coincided with the start of the 1948 London Olympics. He held a competition and it was archery that, you know, with the with the men sitting. And I think there were two or three women sitting in wheelchairs shooting arrows. And it was sort of a a small affair. But he was he had a vision. He really did. And he became this sort of proselytizer of wheelchair sports and also care for paraplegia and would go all over to talk and lecture and help set up hospitals, whether it was South Africa or Australia and came to the States, came to Canada um, and really traveled and sold sort of his philosophy. And eventually he started a, a game, they started playing a game called netball which is sort of a, a cousin of basketball. There's no backboard. It's a little bit lower than 10 feet in terms of height of the basket. Um, and he would have these, uh, uh, um, what they called the Stoke Mandeville games every year. And it was really when the U.S. finally went over, and I'm going to say it was 1956, the U.S. team the first for the first time went to compete at the Stoke Mandeville Games, and they brought over wheelchair basketball and showed off their E and J wheelchairs, and <laughs> they just showed a, a, a the modern game, and that sort of jump started the what became the Paralympics, which most people uh, today say started with Rome, nineteen sixty, because. Right. Uh, after the Olympics in Rome in 1960, there were organized by Dr. Gutman and his staff. They had the Paralympics um, in Rome, and uh, you know we had a, the U.S. had a, had a small team, um, and other countries came, and that's really the start. And Gutman gets a lot of credit for this, just like Tim Nugent gets a lot of credit here, and it's well deserved. Um, uh, for being, you know, as able-bodied people saying, you know what, let's let's get this going. Let's get this going for people with disabilities because there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to have this opportunity. Right, right. I think the, the last question I have for you, I know that you stop, you have a, start, a stopping point in the book. You kind of stop right, right around early 70s, I believe. Um, is, was there a particular reason why you stopped there? Yeah, I mean, because I, I mean, I it could keep going and going and going, um, and and but yeah, I I tried to sort of stop at around, um, I guess you would call it Vietnam, the Vietnam era. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just didn't want to keep going and going and going, and because it was really centered on the veterans and the veterans' experience. First and foremost, though, of course, it it expanded beyond that and has always expanded beyond that. Um, I, I sort of wanted to just keep it within that confine um, for for that. And um, being that the the book was was 
published in 2020. It was supposed to be for the uh, Tokyo Paralympics. And of course, that got canceled. So, um, you know, the end point of the Paralympics in the book is sort of the 64 Tokyo Paralympics. So that was supposed to be part of that. Uh, but you know what they say about the best laid plans, right? <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, it, I mean, it, there's almost, there's a whole other book really about the modern era um, of, of wheelchair sports and sports for people with disabilities, you know, starting with kids and, and women and how that all happened. Um, so I, in a sense, that's, that's another book for somebody else to, <laughs> take, right. uh, to take on. Yeah, no, but I, th- I think, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. You had to, you had to stop somewhere, uh, cause, but you had a, you had the the nucleus there. You have the foundation of of a, of how kind of uh, a para sport, adaptive sports, wheelchair sports really really got started. So if uh, and I d- definitely want folks to to check it out if they're not familiar with Wheels of Courage and, and and how do how would you recommend people doing that? I know you have also a website that people can 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 go to. So maybe in the in the closing minute that we have, just um, mention your website and and anything else you want to share. Oh, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it's it. The book is available, uh, you know, on Amazon, and or you know, if you want to order it through through your local bookstores, that's great. The the title again is Wheels of Courage. Um, my website is www.ddavisla.com, and so you know, there are links there for people to order the book via Amazon or whatever. Um, and yeah, no, I appreciate the I appreciate the time and. Um, you know, what, what move United and and others have, have done is really, you know, sort of taken the legacy of what the veterans started and made it just so much, you know, brought it into the mainstream and made all the different sports beyond just basketball available. And, uh, you know, to your credit, that's, that's, I just hope that momentum keeps going Paralympics keep going and they're just, I just want to see more opportunities for those uh, who could really benefit from, from uh, para sports.